You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Gobbler Country's Talk in Turkey, where tonight we will preview the Hokies' upcoming game against the rival Pitt Panthers. Both teams coming into this weekend's matchup at 4-4. Four and four. The game will be kicked off at 4 o'clock on Saturday in Pittsburgh. We know the Hokies' horrors there in the Steel City. I'm your host, Brian Manning, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, John Schneider. John, what's your initial take on this game this weekend? The big ketchup, Heinz Field. Before... It was Three River Stadium. They're right across the parking lot on the tip of the peninsula that is Pittsburgh. And it doesn't matter exactly where in that particular longitude and latitude tech seems to show up. They always seem to have problems there. For whatever reason, the team goes to Pittsburgh and just doesn't seem to be able to get off. The only person who seemed to break that cycle was actually Fuente. Who knows, maybe he'll repeat the favor for us again. I was remembering the Pittsburgh game at Lane Stadium because I was going through pictures and I got that really nice picture of of Cam Phillips catching that pass, you know, doing that one-handed catch. It ended up being a really critical pass catch. But And how close that game was with the stop on the fourth and goal to go on the one-and-a-half-yard line or whatever. I remember that game because I was standing down on the sideline and and I threw my camera in the air. But that was an interesting set of events that season. And there's a kind of a rough parallel between them, isn't it? We're kind of both in the same kind of shape we were back in that season, too. Yeah, I remember that team that you're talking about was the 2016 team, if I'm not mistaken. And that was the year the Hokies had Jared Evans at quarterback and Bucky Hodges, Isaiah Ford, and Cam Phillips. Pretty daggone good receiving core we had then. And, of course, Jared Evans, it seemed like the only things he did was throw fades or run the ball. And he was pretty good at it, though. It was a good team that year. and That was the one that went in and beat Pitt for the first time. That's the game. We, as Virginia Tech fans, came to know Pat Narduzzi as what he is now, which I'm not going to call him any names or anything, but I think most people know where I'm going with this. But He's a little volatile. We'll he, just call him he's a little volatile. Yeah, he, he was Narduzzi on the sideline that game. But that, the Hokies won that game 39-36 to 36 coming in that game. They were actually ranked 25th going into that game, and that was the first win they had had at Pittsburgh in a few years. And I think all the way back to 1999, which we all know that was the greatest year in Virginia Tech history. That was the last time Hokies had won in Pittsburgh until 2016. And of course, they played two years ago in Pittsburgh, and the results were quite different. And that may be the I know fans are, are always looking for the low of the Fuente era recently, and but that game in 2018 may have been the worst game for Bud Foster ever. They lost 52-22. I think Pittsburgh ran for like 550-some yards. Every time they touched the ball, it seemed like there was a long touchdown. I think Pittsburgh had two backs go over 200 yards. That was just a rough day in, in that season. 2018 was Virginia Tech's 2020. Maybe it foreshadowed 2020 because it was just not a good season. The defense just wasn't working. The offense wasn't working. Nothing was working. 
it was just a scramble to get to a bowl. I think that was the last vestige of anything. We did get it together that season to beat UVA. Unfortunately, we lost to them last year, which that particular game, I won't say too much about, and we'll see about the December 12th. Here's the thing about scheduling. Number one, I just saw an AP story today. Pittsburgh, of course, right now, Pennsylvania is going through a, a massive lockdown again with this COVID thing. They don't even know if they're going to allow the game to play. There's rumors that it won't, that they will shut it down. You know, that's, like I said, speculation at this point. But you have a situation where Pitt last week didn't play Georgia Tech like they were supposed to because Pitt got hit with all sorts of COVID restrictions and they couldn't put a team on the field. That game gets postponed until December 12th, like our game with UVA. And of course, now Virginia is also hovering in crush territory with the COVID crush. So we'll see how good these teams are when they get out on the field on Saturday, if they get on the field on Saturday. Yeah, Um, one thing I noticed about Pittsburgh is I know entering the season, there was a lot of hype around Pittsburgh this season because everybody knew how good their defense was going to be. And they were just thinking they could get enough offense from Kenny Pickett and company to be a top 25 team. And they, they were good. They started out the year 3-0. and But if you if you take a look at who they beat, begin to see that they beat Austin P 55 nothing. Then they beat Syracuse, who's the worst team in the league by far, 21-10. Then they went to beat Louisville. Louisville was ranked 24th time, 23-20. As we know, Louisville's not been that team this year. Louisville's been been hit hard with COVID all year. And then they lost their first game to NC State by a point, lost to Boston College by a point. They just kind of had some bad luck there when they lost to NC State and Boston College. Then they lost to Miami and Notre Dame. lost four in a row to fall to three and four. And then last and then two weeks ago, they beat Florida State 41-17. Well, Florida State's almost as bad as Syracuse. So we really don't know a lot about this Pitt team. We do know their defensive front seven especially is really good. Because you think about Patrick Jones and you think about Weaver, those are really good players. And that linebacker Chase Pine is a good player. Yeah. They're a top defensive back earlier in the year when Paris Ford chose to opt out of the season. So that, that was yeah. a big one for him. He's probably and, a first-round pick in this coming draft. And from what the article and, and, and several other things going by the Pitt Twitter world, it looks like they're fighting roster stuff too as far as who can show up and who can play football. So – I think even who's going to be on the field for them and us, frankly, is going to be very much in the air. This is going to be a very odd football game to cover. It really is. I I think you've got two very evenly matched teams. They're kind of skewed at each other. Kenny Pickett, when he's hot and he can throw and he can get protection, he can actually throw the ball pretty well. But if you pressure Kenny Pickett, he panics and he can't throw very well. They do not have a running game, and they do not have a really good offensive line. Their strength is what Nardo usually puts on the field, and that's that defense. I think what people remember when they think about this Pittsburgh team, they think back to that 2018 team where they play great defense and they have a stout running game. Well, like, as you mentioned, this this running game isn't up to what Narduzzi would consider pit standards. So that's held the offense back quite a bit. Kenny Pickett is not going to scare anybody, but Kenny Pickett can make plays if you sleep on him. He's been around a long time, started a lot of football games for the Panthers, and he is not somebody you, you could take lightly, but he's not a scary guy, but he's had some success against the Hokies in the past. And when I look at their running game, I don't see a lot there to scare you. They, they will only rush for 834 yards as a team, just 3.8 yards per carry. Their leading rusher just has 313 yards, but we have had issues stopping the run this year, so 
that's something you always you don't want to be the team that gets them off as far as their running game. So that's something to watch. So that kind of lays out their kind of fit and start offense. We'll talk about the Hokies when we get back after the commercial break. But Nardo's going to give us a fit. He always does. And after we get back, we're going to talk about how maybe we can do to fix Nardo's wagon this season. So we'll be back after this. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Hey, Brian, it's the tech section of the podcast. Defensively, I'm pretty convinced that basically we have to repeat last week. Although Pickett is actually a weaker quarterback than we faced last week for definite sure. Less mobility, less passing skill. So challenge the A-gap, mix it up, go back with some of Bud Foster's kind of defensive coverages. From what we hear, they mixed Foster's and Hamilton's coverages so that they got a good mix. Because remember, Foster developed that I only have safeties coverage. Hey, I've got five safeties back here. How do I cover with five safeties? So they went back to some of Bud Foster's playbook, and it worked. So what do you think on D? Well, I think the last week was an encouraging performance against a solid Miami team and and a much better Miami offense than what you'll see this weekend. That Miami offense was worlds better than Pittsburgh. I think Pittsburgh's defense is better than Miami, but in saying that, I think our defense has a chance to to follow up with another good performance. I think we should be worried if they go out and put a stinker up on Pitt. Now, I'm not saying Pitt's terrible or anything on offense, but to play the way they did against Miami for much of the game, to follow that up with anything less than a similar performance would be very discouraging because we're going to need the defense to play well because the offensive points aren't going to come as easily against the Panthers as they did in previous weeks. And I know we had some issues late in the fourth quarter scoring last week, but for the most part, our offense for three and a half quarters, our offense had its way. But this weekend's not going to be as easy, but I do believe we can win against this defense because the strength of our team is the offensive line. The strength of their team is the defensive line. That's always a fun matchup when you got strength or strength in the trenches, and that's definitely the matchup to watch this weekend. The thing that I'm concerned about is when you get strength against strength in the trenches and you have Nardo on the sideline, who's a defensive guy, you usually have overreactive, overpressuring defenses that overrush, get out of control, get out of their lanes. And there are so many ways to beat a defensive like that when you have a really good offensive line and using counters and misdirections and using the whole field, spreading things out, making the defensive line less effective, rolling the quarterback out. We talked about that in the wrap-up show a little bit. You brought that up about giving Hendon Hooker a chance by getting him out of a fixed pocket and letting him get a little bit out into space so he can see and react a little bit better, giving him better patterns on his side of the field so that he can get some reads and some decent checkdowns. The run game, my think is on this one, the run game is going to be based on the success of spreading it out and getting the pass game working. And I don't mean deep passes that are way beyond what you need. I'm talking about good short plus yardage and intermediate routes developing quickly and hit quickly with the moving pocket, something to kind of start loosening that defense up a little bit. If they can get it loosened up, I think that Tech can actually put a dent. I agree with you there. I really do. A good defense is always beatable. I don't care 
with the steel curtain and the Steelers, with the orange crush, the fearsome foursome, some of those great defensive lines and great defenses, they were still beatable if you did things that the defense didn't anticipate or couldn't react to, and you used your talent wisely. Well, there's that argument right now that our current offensive situation is only partially using our talent wisely. So we'll see how that shakes out. I'm concerned about Hooker. I don't know if he's taken a hit. We haven't heard a whole lot about him this week. There wasn't a whole lot of PFF or buzz about him. Or as a matter of fact, the whole Twitter world sort of drained off. I don't know if you've been checking the Twitter feed. You have access to our Twitter feed too. And it has just been really quiet this week. The only thing I've heard is, is that Fuente is running the scout team again. The Twitter stuff I heard has nothing to actually do with what's actually going on on the field, but more off the field stuff. And that's some fun for another day. I tend to kind of scroll beyond that because there's a lot of stuff that isn't thinking. It's just feeling, reacting. I've said that to a couple of people on Facebook, being polite and being nice. And I know that they're angry, but being angry and bitter is just not going to fix anything. And it's not our job as commentators and analysts to be angry and bitter. It's our job to say, okay, this is what happened. This is what worked and didn't work. And yeah, sometimes when you state the truth, the truth hurts, right? But the truth right now is is that we have what we have and there's nobody going anywhere because nobody's got the money to do it. Just so that everybody understands something, Virginia Tech just posted a big thing online that said that the school lost $60 million last year in 2020. $60 million. They have laid off professors. They have done all sorts of stuff. There's major tune downs going on. So if the school itself has lost $60 million, imagine what the athletic program has taken a hit for. Everybody needs to just kind of realize that, that there's no money to do anything like what people would love to do. I do think that there's money enough to make some serious changes in the offseason. And that's something that we probably are going to talk about in depth, I think. I'm going to ask you to write a couple of articles about it, too, and maybe a couple of opinion pieces. But, you know, that's going to have to be talked about in reality. And Wit is going to have to sit down with the coaching staff and say, hey, look, this is how we have to do things and how we have to proceed. But big, huge moves just aren't going to be there. I don't think they're going to be there for many teams. I think that South Carolina firing might be the big news of the season this year. I'll leave the rest of it to you. I don't believe that unless barring a collapse of four and seven, where the the apathy sets in more than it is now, I don't see anything happening with Fuente. And I think fans probably should just root for him to succeed the rest of the year as much as you don't like him and, and things that's going on with you don't agree with how he handles things. I don't either. But that situation, I hate the phrase, it is what it is, but it kind of is right now. But I do believe there will be some changes in the coaching staff, and I'm encouraged that there will be. Now, now I said this last year, and we did have some changes last year, but I do believe on the offensive side of the ball, I think there will be some changes, and I won't really go any more in depth because there's nothing really out there to say right now. Just a feeling, but as far as this weekend goes, it's a game that could go either way. you got two teams that came into the season with high hopes. Both teams, top 25 teams, started off well. Both of them struggling at 4-4, four and four, trying to keep the season afloat. I think if the Hokies lose this weekend, I think you're going to see more players opting out. You saw earlier this week, Kashawn Artis was one of those who opted out, designed to boast. So that could be a trend for not just the Hokies, but all the teams. 
but we'll, we'll leave it with that. And you saw my comment at the end of your article, because I don't disagree with the article as far as it being a little bit, I didn't call it necessarily alarming. It was kind of disheartening to see two kids that, yes, they're buried on the depth chart, but because of the COVID stuff, because of the possibility of not having a person there, that they could be a very necessary next man up. Now, it is important for everybody to understand the opt-outs are not transfer portal. The opt-outs are, this is a freebie season for the team. There's a ton of different reasons. Look at Taiwan Garbutt opted back in once he got whatever cleaned up was cleaned up. So I think that we had a defensive staff that was brand new that didn't have a complete season to get prepared. I think we have an offensive staff that needs the same kind of clean out that the defensive staff did last year. And we need a spring. We need to have a full season next year. And if we don't, it's going to be another one of these, right? So if everybody would just take every game as one game and just enjoy it for what it is. And if we lose, we lose. If we win, we win. And it's great. And hey, we lived for another day. And I think that's the way I have decided to take this. And, you know, it's kind of brings back memories, but it is what it is. So I think we're going to leave that with that, folks. Brian's little quote there, it is what it is. So as always, guys, we love them. Even if they're struggling, go Hokies. Go Hokies. Go Hokies.